good morning, friends. Uh, thanks for jumping in, joining us. Now, if you're watching right now live or you're listening to this later on, thanks for doing it. Glad you are doing this because this is the first of a conversation, a series of conversations we're having called No Other. Yes, No Other. No Other what, Naeem? I'm sure you're asking. Well, before we get into that, let me ask you this question. How many Trump fans in the house? Make some noise. Okay, how, how many Biden fans in the house? Democrats, you got, you got some, come on, make, make it happen, make it happen. Yes, see, this is the, I could only do this because I'm talking to an empty room. Like, I, I'm doing this online. Because could you imagine if I asked that question in a live a church service? I mean, especially at Mosaic, man, diverse community. Oh, we, we would have all kinds of things going on. Masks flying everywhere, people spitting on people, doing all kinds of things. People name-calling, maybe, I don't know. It is Mosaic, you never know. They're kind people. But I would only, only do this online uh, and never, never in a group. Because here's the deal. Why? What's, ha- what's going to happen? Like, all kinds of chaos is going to take place, and it's going to look like, the church is going to look like the rest of the world, the rest of the U.S., and so we don't want to do that, but, but, why am I talking about politics? Why am I bringing it in the church? The reason, and some of you guys are thinking, is this series about politics? I mean, no, don't do that, name. don't, let's not talk about politics, let's not talk about politics, no, don't do that. Here's the problem, uh, politics is talking about church. That, that's the reality of it, okay? So I, I don't want to bring, a, uh, you know, a politics in church. The, 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 the thing is, is that politics is bringing the church in. In fact, politics and politicians throughout generations, and not just this country, but throughout the human history that we, we know of, have used, have used spiritual power or games uh, to manipulate people. And politicians play a very, very dangerous, even maybe even a sinister game. And so many of us, so many of us, you know this, so many of us take the bait. I mean, Christians take the bait all day long. And what's happening is, is that politicians, because of what's happening and because of what they do and what they say and what they promise to become and be and, and perform and all that good stuff, they bait us and we take the bait. And we're actually being fished out of our faith. I mean, if you don't believe me, I mean, just look around. Right now, we are most divided, not just, not just in, in the U.S., well, forget that, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workspaces. We are so divided. We are so against each other. And here's the issue. Here's the problem. We should not do that. If there's any group of people as, as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're just checking out Jesus or as in they're trying to figure out what you believe, I get that. But this conversation, this, this idea of how you and I need to be not not as the rest of the world, is a crucial one. And so therefore, this series is not a response to politics. No, it's, 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 it's not that at all. It's not a response to what, what, what politics is doing in the church. No, it's in fact a reminder of what we are called to do as a church. It's a reminder that we need to be followers of Jesus. It's to declare once and for all that we're going to stop the noise, the, 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 the mixtape that we're listening to and we're constantly be, being fed. This idea that there's other things out there. No, no, no. This is forever uh, a manifesto in a sense or a, a just it's saying, no, 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 we, we, we reject all of those things because there is no other, there's no other love, there's no other label, there's no other name, there's no other hope, there's no other power, there is no other party that should define us. There, there is no other citizenship, 
Let me just tell you, there's no other citizenship that we are to pledge our allegiance to but the kingdom of heaven. There is no other name that we're called to bear. There is no other name that we're, that we're supposed to be shaped by and to live out. Now, I've got off, I mean, I'm, I've got off my soapbox or whatever, but here's the deal. Let me just give you, let me be real here. I, I'm an immigrant. Okay, I've come to the States, uh, and I wasn't born here. I was raised in the Arab world, and I have a unique appreciation for this country and the political pr procedures and the, p the political, um, and just, the, just the, the nature of how this country is run. So I appreciate and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm a, I have politicians who are friends, so there's nothing to knock them. But friends, but friends, this is also true. I'm convinced, convinced that no Christian uh, moral or political power is the answer to your and my deepest, deepest pains, regrets, uh, hopes, and dreams. There's no other power but the power of the name of Jesus. And so this, this conversation that we're having, this series that we're having, is, is, is going back to reminding us how Paul reminded us that if salvation could be attained by all of being a moral majority, if salvation could be attained by fulfilling all the laws that we have set in place, then Christ died for nothing. And so this is us going, oh, let's just remind ourselves, who are we called to be? What, is, what are we called to be shaped by? And it's not a party, it's not all the other noise out there. So let's start with no other love this morning. Why, why do we start with no other love? Because, because I am also convinced that love is and has always shaped the core of who you are and who I am. I mean, the, the fact is, it explains why people do so many things. Have you ever been in a situation and you're like talking to someone and you're like, why is this person um, th thinking this way or feeling this way? Or you've been in a work environment and you're like, why do you act like this? Like, why are you so just, why are you always mad at the world? Have you ever met someone just mad at the world? I mean, or fearful of the world or just annoyed at the world. You think it's just you. No, no, they're annoyed at everything. What's going on? I think it's connected to love. I think it's deeply connected to love. I think a lot of behaviors that you and I see and exhibit is connected to love. In, in particular, exactly what does that mean? Well, I think that because of a misguided love, of, of incomplete love, we justify so many things. We justify hatred, prejudice, we justify nastiness, we justify so many things. And when I mean we, I mean followers of Jesus. We do this all day long. So that's why I think we need to understand and be reminded about um, what, what is God's calling, what, what is God's love, and uh, what is it calling us to? What is it? Because it's calling us to so much more. So let me, let me repeat this, let me say this, and I want to repeat it again because some of you guys might need to take this, put it in the chat uh, as well. Now here's what I'm going to say. Who and what we love, who and what we love, who and how we are loved, will forever determine who we are becoming. It is shaping you right now. Let me repeat it again. Who and what we love, and who and how we are loved. The, the, the amount of love you feel, the amount of acceptance and, and, and security you feel, the amount of things that you experience, the sense of like there's, there's, there's harmony within you, you know you are deeply loved, deeply appreciated, or the lack thereof is affecting you. So that's why you and I have to be reminded once again about what is God's love and how, and how we need to embrace it. That there should be no other love of anything else that should define who we are. 
You see, if there's any group of people, like I said before, man, we are the group of people, followers of Jesus, should be the best at loving people. Now, at Mosaic, we have a vision statement. We see a community, a diverse community that lives by faith, that's known by love, and that's a voice of hope. This idea of being known by love is not something that's cute and we thought, oh, that'd be awesome. Let's be known by something cool. No, it's, it's, it's Jesus' plan. He's like, if you want people to know me, love each other well. And friends, come on, come on. You see it on social media all day long. Followers of Jesus, the church is bickering, is fighting, and it's not loving. It's not known for love. Here's what's happening. When Jesus said, the the way you love each other, they'll know me. They'll know me by the way you love each other. That means that your unloving can actually hinder God's, um, God's love. It can actually hinder people knowing God. They're not going to know me if you keep fighting. They're not going to know me. They're not listening. They're not seeing. They're not feeling. They're not sensing because of all the stuff you are doing and all the stuff you are saying. So friends, friends, I'm passionate about this. Of course I am. Because if there's something that we, if there's one thing we got to get, I mean, get right, uh, it's, it's, it's love. It's love. We, 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 we have to. If there's one thing that we have to force ourselves to uh, try again and again and fail at again and again, if there's one thing to give our whole lives to, it is loving well. And as I was preparing for this, I thought, man, what are some of the scriptures that I could use? There's so many. There's so many. I was like, well, I, I just read the entire Bible, maybe. I don't know what it is. It's like, it's like supposedly a love letter or something. Well, I mean, come on. Talking about how we should love and who should we love and this and this and that and that. There's so many scriptures about love. I'm like, I'm just going to, what, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do here? And if you, if you would do your, you do your own research, you, you, you cannot avoid, you cannot avoid this concept or this condition in one sense of like accepting God's love and living it out. And here's what's funny. Here's what's ironic to me. Most of the Christian life sometimes, we just want to talk about everything else but the biggest thing. It's like, no, no, let's talk about other things. Let's not just talk about other things. But it's, it's the biggest thing. We're like, yeah, 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 love, love, love. Yeah, no. We, we, we reserve the verses about love at weddings. And that's it. We're like, what? why? Why do we do this? So... I had a hard time, I got to tell you. There's so much stuff about love. I had a hard time. But then this one quote from Jesus, I mean, it is everything, friends. It is everything. It says it all. I mean, it is basically a a whole sermon. I mean, it's the entire sermon in a quote, okay, from Jesus. And here's what he says. This is John writes it down uh, in uh, chapter 15. He says this, as the Father has loved me, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. That's it. Mic drop. It's over. This is it. This This is it. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, now, knowing that, Understanding that, breathing that, living in that, sensing that, remain in it. Just remain. Don't go anywhere past it. And so often, not just followers of Jesus, not just Christians, 
all religious people, they want to move and graduate past love. They go, well, well, yeah, love, we got love, but now let's go to deeper things. And God's like, well, let me just, that's great. Let's just get back to it. Because I don't think there's anything deeper than love. There doesn't seem to be. And so what is it saying here? It's saying this, don't let any other love define. Define what? Number one, who you are. It says, as a father has loved me, I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So who are you? Because of who loves you and who um, is loving you, because of how you love people, uh, what love are you allowing to define you? First John, by the way, First John, uh, that, that whole book is all about this. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a lot about this. It's a great read. But in uh, verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See how, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what? And that is what we are. That is what we are, friends. That is what we are. It's, it's God's love for us that he, he embraces us that this should define who we are. That our identity and our sense of security should come from God's love and not because so-and-so pays us attention and so-and-so thinks we're pretty cool and so-and-so appreciates us and so-and-so does not. It is not defined by any other role. Some of us, we're like, no, no, I'm a dad. And so what happens when you're no longer a dad? No, I'm a mom. What happens when you're no longer a mom? I'm a wife. What happens when you're no longer a wife? You see, when, we're, we, when we choose to define ourselves by other loves, loves of other things and other people, it totally messes us up, friends. It does all the time. That's why so many of us are... Uh, find ourselves being aggressive or unkind or actually justifying being competitive. Why? Because there is a love of someone else we're trying to get. And so we can uh, just roll over, steam over all the other people in our lives. There is this toxic view of what, how to get love, how to keep love, how to earn love, which messes us up. And here the scripture says, no, no, he calls us his kids. He calls us that. That's who we are. He gives us our identity. So who are you? Who are you loved by? And in, is this person or is these people defining who you are? Because if, if you can name those, if you can think about them right now, then I, I, I bet you have this, this um, pressure inside of you to be the, um, not perfect, but the ideal. See, we, we, we can dismiss being perfect because people go, oh, I'm not perfect. I'm not the, you know what, I can't be the perfect so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But when it comes to love and when there's a, there's a condition connected to love, ideal works for us. Well, I just want to be the ideal, like the ideal friend. 
and the ideal boyfriend or girlfriend, the ideal wife or husband. I want to be the ideal mom or dad. I want to be the ideal grandparent, the ideal boss, the ideal employee, the ideal successful person, the ideal Christian, the ideal citizen. I want to be the ideal human. Because when we become the ideal, it is the ideal love that we can experience. And so we have this pressure within us, and chances are we are waiting for other people not to be perfect because, you know, that's too much because we don't even put ourselves to that. But ideal works. We were like, I'm just waiting for you to get it together and ideal. Because when you're ideal, I appreciate. When you're ideal, I feel secure. When you're ideal, you're perfect for me. When you're ideal. And the good thing is that God is not waiting for us to be ideal, for Him to love us. Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about this. He says this. This is the, uh, the Passion Translation. And this is so profound. Starts off, it says, His fullness fills you. I mean, right there, it's like, oh, wow. His fullness fills you, even though you were once like corpse, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that, that long ago that you lived in religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of this earthly realm who filled the atmosphere with his authority and worked diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. So right here he's talking about there's another force. It is anti-love. It's the opposite of, of love. It breeds and lives in fear because fear is the opposite of it. It's the, it's the enemy of our soul. It's Satan himself. He's saying there is, a, there is a threshold where you get to where you all of a sudden become an agent of him. You become sort of the anti of Christ. You become anti-Christ. See, we're looking for a one person who's going to be the antichrist. We're like, oh, it's a male. For sure it's a male. And it's this person. No, friends, in the scriptures, the antichrist is a philosophy, is a way of living, which is anti-Christ. So when you and I don't honor the people right next to us and, and don't act like Christ, we what? We actually become the anti of who he is. And so he says, you once were this. You once were this. Verse 3, he says, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. See, he connects it. He's like, there's a self-life. There's a, I want to be ideal. I want to be this. There is an expression, and this is the kind of life we want to live. And there's a corruption. He says, there is a, um, it, it, it gets really messy and toxic, and it, it gets unhealthy. It becomes corrupt. And then he says, we've lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. Living as rebellious children. Even, still children, but rebellious children. Subject to God's wrath like everyone else. Verse 4, but, but God still, what? Loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed, dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. I was talking to my uh, daughter. She's 14. Last night, actually, we, we had an impromptu fire. I mean, not that we set fire to the house. We actually had a fire. And um, anyways, I was, uh, we kind of just sat around. It was kind of a great moment. We were there for, I don't know, an hour or more. And we just, just talked life. We just talked like me and her. And it was so, he, she, by the way, she's super 
super smart, um, but not just that, she's so kind. And uh, her name actually, Nura, means shining light. And so it's really great to see her uh, live that out uh, right before me. So anyways, we were talking about this idea of, of systems and uh, of this culture and what we've allowed ourselves to become as a society. Talking about politics as well, talking about all the things that we as humans are doing right now in history. See, the truth is, is that um, we, we, we get to experience this part of history. And she asked a question about, like, the future. And she was like, you know, I wonder how many people will be talking about us and worried about all the things that we're thinking about right now, uh, like 50, 60, 70, maybe 500 years from now. And for some of us, we're like, oh, 500 years from now. And it was so funny because the writers of the scriptures were thinking the same thing. They're like, 500 years from now, that's not going to happen. Jesus is coming anytime soon. And we're here. You know, And so as you were talking about this, she was talking about these systems that we have set up. And so when this verse, as I began thinking about this, because I just happened to have uh, my notes in front of me as we were talking, this idea that we were dead and doomed in our many sins is, is connected to the conversation we're having. You see, as humans, we end up making systems that always enslave someone else. The way we do that. It's a system. When it comes to love, when it comes to appreciation, when it comes for some kind of interaction, we always create systems. And so that's why he's saying, hey, you were living in a system before. It was corrupt, but you're no longer. You're not supposed to. You, you can break out of that system. See, we create systems. And you might think, oh, well, not all systems. Yeah, there's so many, especially when it comes to, to leading groups of people. See, that's why you know this and I know this, that every time Christianity as a, as a movement be, be, has any kind of power, it becomes corrupt. Just ask the, ask the Catholic Church. Just ask all the churches out there. Every time. What is it? What is it? Because it seems like God wants to do something else, and he's not trying to create a system um, that we create. And so he starts with saying, okay, let's start with this. You need to be defined by what I think of you. You need to be defined by my love for you. How many of us have allowed God to define us, fully define us? Friends, it's hard for me. Because as a guy who wants to be successful, as a guy who wants to try new things and, and accomplish so many things, I give myself over. I give my identity over to let someone else define me. I go, let me give you the right to appreciate me. Let me give you the right to make me feel good. Let me give you the right to do this. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't become kids and children of anything else but of me. And don't let any other love define you. Friends, if you don't get this, if you have a hard time with this, you're going to have a hard time with everything else. It is, it, everything hinges on new understanding, knowing that God loves you, that he, uh, that you're his kid. You're his kid. So if you're thinking, Naeem, it takes me, uh, it's so hard for me. Well, then take the rest of your life and pursue that one thing. Naeem, really? Yeah. You know why? Because let me just remind you what Jesus said. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So now remain in my love. For a season? No. Forever. Forever. All right, let's go to the next point. Next point is how we act. So God's love should, number one, define who we are, and then how we act. How we act. Now, um, 
There's a passage of scripture in Titus. I mean, like I said, there's so many passages. This is Titus. Um, I'm not going to have it on the screen for you or anything. This is extra. And they're, 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 the, that God's talking, and he says, you know what? They claim to know me, but their actions are detestable, dis, uh, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Like, God is talking about religious people who claim to love him. First John 2 basically says this, if you claim to be loved by God deeply, you need to love like God. If, if you claim to be loved by God, then you need to love like God. If you claim to have his name, then you should live out his name. If you claim that God is acting and engaged in your life, then you need to act like him. And friends, we justify this all day long, all day long. I know it's hard, but there is no excuse. There is no other love that should define how we act, should determine how we act with people who are not like us. Friends, your spirituality can be simplified by this, by this statement, is that, is that the way you treat the most, the least important person in your life determines how much you are loved by God. The way you treat the most insignificant, the most opposite, the most the least important person in your life shows me exactly who you are loved by. And here he's saying, friends, you are loved by God. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, he says, let love, let God's love and kindness be the motivation behind what? All that you do some no only at work no only at home only at church only in this only in this conversation only about no 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 in what all you do he keeps on going let me just read this first john first john the scripture says i mean I, this is a lot of verses but these are so good it says dear friends let us continue to love one another for love comes from god again reminding us where this true love is coming from anyone who loves uh, is a child of god and knows god anyone who loves knows god but anyone who does not love does not know god okay we can erase this we can uh, rip this out of our scriptures, or, but, you, we, but it still stays. Again, anyone who does not love does not know God. I mean, great, you, you saw God. I'm so happy that you're fasting and praying about this, this nasty thing you wrote on Facebook. Seriously? Because right here, you don't love, I don't think you know him. You're like, no, I don't, can't believe. I didn't say it. He said it. I'm, not, I'm just reading this. Okay? For what? For God is love. God showed, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, 
Since God loved us so that much, we surely ought to what? Tolerate each other. We surely need to ignore each other. We surely need to agree to disagree. No, we ought to what? Love each other each other can we say something else no apparently not love each other no one has ever seen god but if we love each other god lives in us and his love is brought to full 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 expression in us hold on so so i want to be the i want to express god in in the most profound way the most purest way in the world what what do i need to do what do i need to do i want to i want all of god in my life god we sing the songs i want all of you i want all of you i want all of you sometimes it's basically i just want everything that's coming to me but he says if i want all of you then his full expression is made perfect full expression why by what his love and the way we act it out Verse 13, he says, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, if we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that, God, that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. He's talking about you have been filled with love. God is love. You've been filled with it. So that's why God's like, hey, you can't get, really get, around, get around this love thing because I'm going to fill you with one thing, and that is love. And so if you're filled with love, but then you don't act in love, we got a problem. Either you have a massive leak, and you're leaking, or you're filled with something else. Because if I'm filling you with all of me, which is love, then why are you acting this way? Why do you think it's okay to say this? Why do you think you're superior? Because you got Jesus? Really? Why do you think it's okay? Because you live in the U.S.? Why? Why do you think it's okay? Verse 16, he says, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. He goes on, he says, our, um, our love for others, our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us do you want to be grateful don't don't say you're grateful act loving um you want to be not grateful allow your feelings emotions allow people's opinions to justify how you respond to them Though if they agree with you, you love them. If, the, if they don't, you dismiss them. You cancel them. But if you, you want to be grateful, if you want to have a grateful response to God's love, uh, don't sing me the songs. Love others well. Because if you love them well, they'll know me. If you don't love them, 
they're not going to be like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing song. I'm going to come to Jesus. No, friends. It's deeper than that. Verse 20 says, anyone who say, anyone who says, I love God, yet have hatred towards another believer. Um, this, this, this makes him a phony. This is the passion translation. You're like, is the word phony in the Bible? Uh, no, it's, a, it's paraphrased. This makes him a phony or her a phony. Because if you don't love a brother and sister whom you can see, how can you truly love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must, must also demonstrate love to others. So what does this mean? No more name calling. You can't. Don't justify it. Don't. No, no. Oh, well, you don't know name and you don't know. No, no. Any, anybody who name calls, any leader who name calls, it's not love. It's the anti of Christ's love. No more name calling. No more shame blaming. No, no, your name, you, you have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, no, no, you have no idea. You have no idea. You have no idea. No more fear mongering. No, no, no. Here, here, let, me, let me just tell you. Let me, let, uh, no more spiritual support, superiority. No, none of that. That is, not, that is not God's love. Okay, see, the problem is when we, we go, well, name, well, well, you're saying basically to accept and give people permission to do whatever. No, what I'm saying is, is that God loves works from the inside out. He loves the, from us from the inside out. He created us, and we have intrinsic love and value and worth, and it comes from the inside out. So he looks at our inside, and he loves us all the way to the outside. So he does not wait for our outside to get it together so he can determine how much love he'll have for us. Our love does that. We love from the outside in. We wait for people to agree with us, have the same values, have the same um, uh, opinions about things, have the same hatred towards other people. We, uh, we, so we go, okay, I love you this much because I love you from the outside in. Here he's saying love from the inside out. God loves like that. You need to love like that. So I can love you totally, fully, uh, whoever the person is, you're like, I detest them. That's the problem. If you detest them, you can't say you love God. Because love, God's love says you need to love from the inside out. The outside of the person you might disagree with. But there is no excuse to not loving them from the inside out. No excuse. No excuse. Sam Harris, he's an atheist. I follow him on Instagram. Uh, because he keeps me grounded, honestly. He recently posted something, he, and it's, it's pretty profound. He said, where are the Tibetan Buddhist suicide bombers? Now, because of my background, the Middle East, I don't know, the, uh, did you guys get that? Where are the Tibetan Buddhist suicide bombers? Basically, he's making a case that all religious people justify hatred and killing. All religious people. Now, he is anti-religion. He says, Buddhist, like Tibetan Buddhist monks who believe that God is inside in all of the universe and not really a, a person out there, um, they do actually do it well because they don't kill people or suicide bombers. He, he, he's making an indictment against the church. 
He's like, let me tell you why. Because all religious people eventually, eventually justify hatred, anger, bitterness, prejudice, creating systems of, of modern-day slavery. They do it, and they do it in the name of their God. Friends, I, I was in a war before I came to the States. I was in a war for two years in Kuwait. Kuwait got invaded by Iraq. Saddam Hussein was the uh, president of Iraq. He invaded the country. And here's something on, uh, you know, that you might have not heard. As a person living in Kuwait during occupation, they cut out all the communications. We would only get one channel. And it was all a political agenda, his, his campaign of why he was justified on attacking and killing all the Kuwaitis and taking over Kuwait. As I was a kid watching that, here's what I would see. I would see the president of Iraq praying. Every time there was a prayer, because Muslims pray five times a day, that he would show, they would show them on video praying and to portray him as such a holy person. And then he actually said, the reason why I invaded Kuwait is because God told me, Allah told me that the king and the queen, the, the, the family that was running Kuwait, because it was a monarchy, were, were vile people, had left Islam. And so I have come as a prophet of Allah to rescue the people of Kuwait. And there he would be praying because the propaganda was, I'm the holiest person. And you've seen politicians do this. You've seen people in power do this. They take the name of Jesus. They take a book. They, take a, they do a photo op. They, do, they say the right things. They promise big on all kinds of policies. Why? Why do they do this? Because they think that the world will just buy into it. And I'm not, I'm not sure about the world, but we cannot buy into it. Because God's love should determine who we are and how we act. So what does it look like for you? What are you going to change? What are you going to commit to change right now? If this is convicting, I hope it is. If it's not, it should be. It should be super convicting. But we can do this. We can do this. God lives inside of us. So that's my prayer for us today. And if you feel right now that you're not close to God and that God has left you, let me just remind you, remind you, remind you, he has not. Can I read you one last verse? It's in Isaiah. It says this, Isaiah 54. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this conversation. We thank you, God, that right now you are in the midst of us, God, not just around this place, but you're in the midst of our being. You're speaking to us. You're talking to us. God, as we were watching this or listening to this, God, you're reminded about the conversations we were having just in the office or in our, uh, in our workspace or at home. We're reminded about the conversations and the interactions that we've had, God, that we found ourselves being just unloving and unkind, allowing, allowing us to name call and shame blame everything and everyone. 
God, today we decide no longer to do that. We no longer allow fear to dictate our lives. God, it is the one thing that love, love can beat. Fear is the, is the, is the, is the one thing, God, that keeps us from really tr truly going out of our way to love and accept. God, I feel like fear knows that because it knows it can be defeated by God's love. So, Father, let us be people who are moved, shaped, live, and remain in your love. There is no other love. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name.